Hello. Hello. And welcome back to Infinite Cast, a podcast. Yes. Uh, so here we are, back again. Begin at the beginning. The beginning is the end. You're 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 getting it, man. Yes. You're finally getting it. Not finally. You've been, so we've taken a few weeks time. off after uh, finishing the book, um, and our schedule of post book activities begins uh with the best that we can think of doing which is just starting Start. to read the book again it'd be a great bit if we just started and just kept going um infinite cast yes uh so what's the podcast that it's like the guy, guys watch the same movie like over and over and over uh i believe that is the worst idea in the world podcast uh-huh. oh god what uh where was it Grown Ups? Two guys <laughs> from New Zealand two. just watch Grown Ups two over and over and again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think that was it. And then I think eventually they moved on to Sex in the City too. Oh God. Uh, I'm they, a I'm a Sex in the City girl, but not Sex in the City two. We don't claim her. <laughs> you is Sex in the City one. I like the movie. I like the first movie. Yeah, it's kind of epic. <laughs> Big gets cold feet. Stands carry up on her wedding day. Believable. Yes. He he's a he's a dipshit. Um. So. Yeah, I guess we're just <laughs> embracing the uh the the annular nature of the book and yeah. going back and reading at least the first few pages of I, this. I think you would get something out of uh hearing it again. All we right. can do that and maybe maybe cover some uh, some uh, some post book analysis. Yeah. Uh, post-game analysis. All right. So do you want to just hop in? Let's hop back in. It's the year of GLAD. It's the only, I think it's the only time we were in the year of GLAD. I am seated in an office surrounded by heads and bodies. My posture is consciously congruent to the shape of my hard chair. This is a cold room in university administration, wood-walled, Remington-hung, double-windowed against the November heat, insulated from administrative sounds by the reception area outside at which Uncle Charles, Mr. DeLint, and I were lately received. I am in here. Three faces have resolved into place above summerweight sport coats and half-Windsors across a polished pine conference table, shiny with the spidered light of an Arizona noon. These are three deans of admissions, academic affairs, athletic affairs. I do not know which face belongs to whom. <laughs> I believe I appear neutral, maybe even pleasant, though I've been coached to err on the side of neutrality and not attempt what would feel to me like a pleasant expression or smile. I have committed to crossing my legs, I hope carefully, ankle on knee, hands together in the lap of my slacks. My fingers are mated into a mirrored series of what manifests to me as the letter X. The interview room's other personnel include the university's director of composition, its varsity tennis coach, and academy pro-rector, Mr. A. DeLint. CT is beside me. The others sit, stand, and stand, respectively, at the periphery of my focus. The tennis coach jingles pocket change. There is something vaguely digestive about the room's odor. The high-traction sole of my complimentary Nike sneaker runs parallel to the wobbling loafer of my mother's half-brother, here in his capacity as headmaster. Sitting, it's funny that he's ID'd as the half-brother first, as opposed to the weird romantic thing yes. that they are. Uh, here in his capacity as headmaster, sitting in the chair to what I hope is my immediate right, also facing Dean's. 
The dean at left, a lean, yellowish man whose fixed smile nevertheless has the impermanent quality of something stamped into uncooperative material, is a personality type I've come lately to appreciate, the type who delays need of any response from me by relating my side of the story for me, to me. Past a packet of computer sheets by the shaggy lion of a dean at center, he is speaking more or less to these pages, smiling down. You are Harold and Condenza, 18, date of secondary school graduation approximately one month from now, attending the Enfield Tennis Academy, Enfield, Massachusetts, a boarding school where you reside. His reading glasses are rectangular, court-shaped, the sidelines <laughs> at top and bottom. You are, according to Coach White and Dean Unintelligible, a regionally, nationally, and continentally ranked junior tennis player, a potential O-N-A-N-C-A-A athlete of substantial promise, recruited by Coach White via correspondence with Dr. Tavis here, commencing February of this year. The top page is removed and brought around neatly to the bottom of the sheaf at intervals. You have been in residence at the Enfield Tennis Academy since age seven. I am debating whether to risk scratching the right side of my jaw where there is a when. Coach White informs our offices that he holds the Enfield Tennis Academy's program and achievements in high regard, that the University of Arizona Tennis Squad has profited from the prior matriculation of several former ETA alumni, one of whom was Mr. Aubrey F. DeLint, who appears also to be with you here today. <laughs> Coach White and his staff have given us the yellow administrator's usage is on the whole undistinguished, though I have to admit he's made himself understood. The director of composition seems to have more than the normal number of eyebrows. The dean at right is looking at my face a bit strangely. Uncle Charles is saying that though he can't anticipate that the deans might be predisposed to weigh what he avers as coming from his possible appearance as a kind of cheerleader for ETA, he can assure the assembled deans that all this is true and that the academy has presently in residence no fewer than a third of the continent's top 30 juniors in age brackets all across the board and that I here, who go by Hal usually, am right up there among the very cream right and center deans smile professionally. The heads of DeLint and the coach incline as the dean at left clears his throat. Belief that you could uh, well make, even as a freshman, a real contribution to this university's varsity tennis program. We are pleased, he either says or reads, removing a page, that a competition of some major sort here has brought you down and given us the chance to sit down and chat together about your application and potential recruitment and matriculation and scholarship. I've been asked to add that Hal here is seated third, boys 18 and under singles, in the prestigious Whataburger Southwest Junior Invitational out at the Randolph Tennis Center, says what I infer is athletic affairs, his cocked head showing a freckled scalp. Out at Randolph Park, near the outstanding Elcon Marriott, <laughs> CT inserts, a venue the whole contingent's been vocal about finding absolutely top hole thus far, which... Just so, Chuck, and that according to Chuck here, Hal has already justified his seed. He's reached the semifinals as of this morning's apparent impressive win, uh, apparently impressive win, and that he'll be playing out at the center again tomorrow against the winner of a quarterfinal game tonight. And so we'll be playing tomorrow at, I believe, scheduled for 0830. Try to get underway before the god-awful heat out there, though, of course, a dry heat. Anne has apparently already qualified for this winter's continental indoors up in Edmonton, Kirk tells me, cocking further uh, to look up and left at the varsity coach, whose smile's teeth are radiant against a violent sunburn, which is something indeed. 
He smiles, looking at me. Did we get all that right, Hal? CT has crossed his arms casually. Their triceps' flesh is webbed with model in the air-conditioned sunlight. You sure did, Bill, he smiles. The two halves of his mustache never quite match. And let me say, when you had a mustache, did you worry about the halves matching? Uh, not really. It just it does what it, it does. It does what it does. Yeah. Uh, and let me say, if I may, that Hal's excited. Excited to be invited for the third year running to the Invitational again. To be back here in a community he has real affection for. To visit with your alumni and coaching staff. To have already justified his high seed in this week's not unstiff competition. To, as they say, still be in it without the fat woman in the Viking hat having sung, so to speak. <laughs> but of course, most of all, to have a chance to meet you, gentlemen, and have a look at the facilities here. Everything here is absolutely top slot from what he's seen. I never figured out a voice for a CT. <laughs> uh, there is a silence. Delint shifts his back against the room's paneling and recenters his weight. My uncle beams and straightens a straight watch band. 62.5% of the room's faces are directed my way, pleasantly expectant. My chest bumps like a dryer with shoes in it. <laughs> I compose what I project will be seen as a smile. I turn this way and that slightly, sort of directing the expression to everyone in the room. There is a new silence. The yellow dean's eyebrows go circumflex. The other two deans look to the director of composition. The tennis coach has moved to stand at the broad window, feeling at the back of his crew cut. Uncle Charles strokes the forearm above his watch. Sharp, curved palm shadows move slightly over the pine table's shine, the one head shadow a black moon. Is Hal all right, Chuck? Athletic Affairs asks. Hal just seemed to, well, grimace. Is he in pain? Are you in pain, son? Hal's right as rain, smiles my uncle, soothing the air with a casual hand. Just a bit of a, let's call it maybe a facial tick slightly at all the adrenaline of being here on your impressive campus, justifying his seed so far without <laughs> dropping a set. I love to justify my justify seed. Justify my seed. Uh, receiving that official written offer of not only waivers, but a living allowance from Coach White here on Pac-10 letterhead, being ready in all probability to sign a national letter of intent right here and now, this very day, he's indicated to me. CT looks to me, his, his look horribly mild. I do the safe thing, relaxing every muscle in my face, emptying out all expression. I stare carefully into the Kekulian knot of the middle dean's necktie. Uh, my silent response to the expectant silence begins to affect the air of the room, the bits of dust and sport coat lint stirred around by the <laughs> AC's vents dancing jaggedly in the slanted pane of window light, plane of window light, the air over the table like the sparkling space just above a fresh poured seltzer. The coach, in a slight <laughs> accent neither British nor Australian, is telling CT that the whole application interface process, while usually just a pleasant formality, is probably best accentuated by letting the applicant speak up for himself. Right and center deans have inclined together in soft conference, forming a kind of teepee of skin and hair. <laughs> I pr presume it's probably facilitate that the tennis coach mistook for accentuate, though accelerate, while clunkier than facilitate, is from a phonetic perspective more sensible as a mistake. <laughs> the dean with the flat yellow face is leaned forward, his lips drawn back from his teeth in what I see as concern. His hands come together on the conference table surface. His own fingers look like they mate as my own 4X series dissolves and I hold tight to the sides of my chair. 
We need candidly to chat re potential problems with my application, they and I, he is beginning to say. He makes a reference to candor and its value. <laughs> the issues my office faces with the application materials on file from you, Hal, involve some test scores. He glances down at a colorful sheet of standardized scores in the trench his arms have made. The admissions staff is looking at standardized test scores uh, from you that are, as I'm sure you know and can explain, are, shall we say, subnormal. I'm to explain. It's really, it's clear that this really pretty sincere yellow dean at left is admissions, and surely the little Avarian figure at right is athletics then because the facial creases of the shaggy middle dean are now pursed in a kind of distanced affront, an I'm eating something that makes me really appreciate the presence of whatever I'm drinking along with it look <laughs> that spells professionally academic reservations. An uncomplicated loyalty to standards then at center. My uncle looks to athletics as if puzzled. He shifts slightly in his chair. The incongruity between admissions' hand and face color is almost wild. Verbal scores that are just quite a bit closer to zero than we're comfortable with, <laughs> as against a secondary school transcript from the institution where both your mother and her brother are administrators, reading directly out of the sheaf inside his arms' ellipse, that this past year, yes, have fallen off a bit, but by the word I mean fallen off to outstanding from uh, pre three previous years of frankly incredible. <laughs> off the charts. Most, institution, most institutions not even have grades of A with multiple pluses after it, says the director of composition, his expression impossible to interpret. This kind of, how shall I put it, incongruity, admission says, his expression frank and concerned, I've got to tell you, sends up a red flag of potential concern during the admissions process. We thus invite you to explain the appearance of incongruity, if not outright shenanigans. <laughs> Students, as a tiny piping voice that's absurd coming out of a face this big. Surely by incredible, you mean very, very, very impressive, as opposed to literally, quote, incredible, surely, says <laughs> CT, seeming to watch the coach at the window massaging the back of his neck. The huge window gives out on nothing more than dazzling sunlight and cracked earth with heat shimmers over it. Then there is before us the matter of not the required two, but nine separate application essays, some of which are near, of nearly monograph length, each without exception being, different sheet, the adjective various evaluators used was, quote, stellar, director of, uh, dear of comp, I made in my assessment deliberate use of lapidary and effete. <laughs> But in areas and with titles, I'm sure you recall, recall quite well, Hal, neoclassical assumptions in contemporary prescriptive grammar, the implications of post-Fourier transformations for a holographically mimetic cinema, the emergence of heroic stasis in broadcast entertainment. Yes. That was his essay about um, the, the hero of um, action, right? Mm -hmm. Montague grammar and the semantics of physical modality. A man who began to suspect he was made of glass? <laughs> Tertiary symbolism in Justinian erotica? We, were, of course, remember he's obsessed with um, Byzantine uh, uh, mosaic pornography. Yes. Now showing broad expanses of recessed gum, suffice it <laughs> to say that there's some frank and candid concern about the recipient of these unfortunate test scores, though perhaps explainable test scores being these essays' sole individual author. I'm not, I'm not sure how sure just what's being implied here, my uncle says. The dean at center is fingering his lapels as he interprets distasteful computed data. 
What the university is saying here is that from a strictly academic point of view, there are admission problems that Hal needs to try to help us iron out. A matriculant's first role at the university is and must be as a student. We couldn't admit a student we have reason to suspect can't cut the mustard, no matter how much of an asset he might be on the field. Dean Sawyer means the court, of course, Chuck, Athletic (laughs) Affairs says. Uh, Head severely cocked, so he's including the white person behind him in the address somehow. Not to mention ONA, uh, ONA and CAA regulations and investigators always snuffling around for some sort of whiff of the smell of impropriety. The varsity tennis coach looks at his own watch. Assuming these board scores are accurate reflectors of true capacity in this case, academic affairs says, his high voice serious and sotto, still looking at the file before him as if it were a plate of something bad, I'll tell you right now, my opinion is it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair to the other applicants. Wouldn't be fair to the university community, he looks at me. And it'd be especially unfair to Hal himself. Admitting a boy we see as simply an athletic asset would amount to just using that boy. (laughs) We're under myriad scrutiny to make sure we're not using anybody. Your board results, son, indicate that we could be accused of using you. (laughs) Uncle Charles is asking Coach White to ask the Dean of Athletic Affairs whether the weather over scores would be as heavy if I were, say, a revenue-raising football prodigy. The familiar panic at being misperceived is rising, and my chest bumps and thuds. I expend energy on remaining utterly silent in my chair, empty, my eyes two great pale zeros. People have promised to get me through this. Uncle C.T., though, (laughs) has the pinched look of the cornered. His voice takes on an odd timbre when he's cornered, as if he were shouting as he receded. Hal's grades at ETA, which I should stress, uh, which is, I should stress, an academy, not simply (laughs) a camp or factory, accredited by both the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the North American Sports Academy Association. It's focused on the total needs of the player and student, founded by a towering intellectual figure who I hardly need name here, and based by him on the rigorous Oxbridge Quadrivium Trivium Curricular (laughs) Model, a school fully staffed and equipped by a fully certified staff, should show that my nephew here can cut just about any Pac-10 mustard that needs cutting, (laughs) and that, Delint is moving toward the tennis coach, who is shaking his head, would be able to see a distinct flavor of minor sport prejudice about this whole thing, CT says, crossing and recrossing his legs as I listen, composed and staring. The room's carbonated silence is now hostile. I think it's time to let the actual applicant himself speak out on his own behalf, academic affairs says very quietly. This seems somehow impossible with you here, sir. (laughs) Athletics smiles tiredly under a hand that massages the bridge of his nose. Maybe you'd excuse us for a moment and wait outside, Chuck. Coach White uh, could accompany Mr. Tavis and his associate out to reception, the yellow dean says, smiling into my unfocused eyes. Led to believe this had all been ironed out in advance from the CT is saying as he and Delint are shown to the door. Uh, the tennis coach extends a hypertrophied arm. Athletics says, we're all friends and colleagues here. This is not working out. It strikes me that the that exit signs would look, this is probably my favorite bit, it strikes me that exit signs would look to a native speaker of Latin like red-lit signs that say he leaves. <laughs> I would yield to the urge to bolt for the door ahead of them if I could know that bolting for the door is what the men in this room would see. Delint is murmuring something to the tennis coach. Sounds of keyboards, phone consoles, as the door is briefly opened, then firmly shut. I am alone among administrative heads. (laughs) 
offense to anyone, uh, intended to anyone, Athletic Affairs is saying, his sport coat tan and his necktie insignated in tiny print. Beyond just physical abilities out there in play, which, believe me, we respect, want, believe me. Question about it, we wouldn't be so anxious to chat with you directly, see? That we've known in processing several prior applications through Coach White's office that the Enfield School is operated, however impressively, by close relations of first your brother, who I can still remember the way White's predecessor Maury Clamkin wooed that kid <laughs> so that Grades' objectivity can be all too easily called into question. By whomsoever's calling, NAAUP, ill-willed Pac-10 programs, ONA and CAA. The essays are old ones, yes, but they are mine, de moi. But they are, yes, old. Not quite on the application's instructed subject of most meaningful educational experience ever. If I'd done you one from the last year, it would look to you like some sort of infant's random stabs on a keyboard, and to you who use whomsoever as a subject. And in this new, smaller company, the director of composition seems abruptly to have actuated, emerged as both the alpha of the pack here and way more effeminate than he'd seemed as first, standing hip shot with a hand on his waist, walking with a roll to his shoulders, jingling change as he pulls up his pants as he slides into the chair, still warm from CT's bottom, crossing his legs in a way that inclines him well into my personal space <laughs> so that I can see multiple eyebrow ticks and capillary webs in the oysters below his eyes and smell fabric softener and the remains of a breathment turned sour. <laughs> a bright, solid, but very shy boy. We know about your being very shy. Kirk White's told us what your athletically built, if rather standoffish, younger instructor told him the director says softly, cupping what I feel to be a hand over my sport coat's biceps, surely not, who simply needs to swallow hard and trust and tell his side of the story to these gentlemen who bear no maliciousness, none at all, but are doing our jobs and trying to look out for everyone's interests at the same time. I can picture DeLint and White sitting with their elbows on their knees in the defecatory posture of all athletes at rest. <laughs> defecatory posture. DeLint staring at his huge thumbs while CT in the reception area paces in a tight ellipse, speaking into his portable phone. I have been coached for this like a dawn before a Rico hearing. <laughs> a neutral and affectless silence. The sort of all-defensive game shtit used to have me play. The best defense. Let everything bounce off you. Do nothing. I tell you all you want and more if the sounds I made could be what you uh could be what you hear. <laughs> Athletics with his head out from under his wing. To avoid admission procedures that could be seen as primarily athletics oriented. It could be a mess, son. Bill means the appearance, not necessarily the real true facts of the matter, which you alone can fill in, says the director of composition. The appearance of the high athletic ranking, the subnormal scores, the over-academic essays, the incredible grades vortexing out of what could be seen as a nepotistic situation. The yellow dean has leaned so far forward that his tie is going to have a horizontal dent from the table edge, his face sallow and kindly and no shit whatever. Look here, Mr. Incondenza, Hal, please just explain to me why we couldn't be accused of using you, son. Why nobody could come and say to us, why, look here, University of Arizona, here you are using for a bo uh, using a boy for just his body, a boy so shy and withdrawn, he won't speak up for himself, a jock with doctored marks and a store-bought application. The Brewster's angle light of the tabletop appears as a rose flush behind my closed lids. I cannot make myself understood. I am not just a jock, I say slowly, distinctly. 
My transcript for the last year might have been dicky a bit, maybe, but that was to get me over a rough spot. The grades prior to that are de moi. My eyes are closed. The room is silent. I, I cannot make myself understood now. I'm speaking slowly and distinctly. Call it something I ate. It's funny what you don't recall. Our first home in the suburb of Weston, which I barely remember, my eldest brother Oren says he can remember being in the home's backyard with our mother in the early spring, helping the moms till some sort of garden out of the cold yard, March or early April. The garden's area was a rough rectangle laid out with popsicle sticks and twine. <laughs> Oren was removing rocks and hard clods from the mom's path as she worked the rented rototiller, a wheelbarrow-shaped gas-driven thing that roared and snorted and bucked and he remembers uh, seemed uh, to propel the moms rather than vice versa. The moms very tall and having to stoop painfully to hold on, her feet leaving drunken prints in the tilled earth. He remembers that in the middle of the tilling, I came tear-assing out the door and into the backyard wearing some sort of fuzzy red poo wear, <laughs> crying, holding out something he said was really unpleasant looking in my upturned palm. He says I was around five and crying and was vividly red in the cold spring air. I was saying something over and over. He couldn't make it out until our mother saw me and shut down the tiller, ears ringing, and came over to see what I was holding out. This turned out to have been a very large patch of mold. Oren posits from some dark corner of the Weston Homes basement, which was warm from the furnace and flooded every spring. The patch itself he describes as horrific. Darkly green, glossy, vaguely hirsute, speckled with parasitic fungal points of yellow, orange, red. Worse, they could see that the patch looked oddly incomplete, gnawed on, and some of the nauseous stuff was smeared around my open mouth. I ate this, was what I was saying. I held the patch out to the moms, who had her contacts out for the dirty work, and at first, bending way down, saw only her crying child, hand out, proffering, and that in that most maternal of reflexes, she, who feared and loathed more than anything, spoilage and filth, reached to take whatever her baby held out, as in how many used heavy Kleenex, spit-back candies, wads of chewed-out gum, and how many theaters, airports, backseats, tournament lounges. O stood there, he says, hefting a cold clod, playing with the Velcro on his puffy coat, watching as the moms bent way down to me, hand-reaching, her lowering face with its presbyopic squint, suddenly stopped, froze, beginning to ID what it was I held out, countenancing, evi countenancing evidence of oral contact with same. He remembers her face as past describing, her outstretched hands still roto-trembling, hung in the air before mine. I ate this, I said. Pardon me? O says he can only remember, sick, saying something caustic as he limboed a crick out of his back. He says he must have felt a terrible impending anxiety. The moms refused ever even to go into the damp basement. I had stopped crying, he remembers, and simply stood there, the size and shape of a hydrant, in red PJs <laughs> with attached feet, holding out the mold, seriously, like the report of some kind of audit. O says his memory diverges at this point, probably as a result of anxiety. In his first memory, the mom's path around the yard is a broad circle of hysteria. God, she calls out. Help, my son ate this, she yells in Oren's second and more fleshed out recollection, yelling it over and over, holding the speckled patch aloft in a pincer of fingers, running around and around in the garden's rectangle, while O gaped at his first real sight of adult hysteria. Suburban neighbors' heads appeared in windows and over the fences, looking. O remembers me tripping over the garden's laid-out twine, getting up, dirty, crying, trying to follow. God, help! 
My son ate this. Help, she kept yelling, running a tight pattern just inside the square of string. And my brother Oren remembers noting how, even in hysterical trauma, her flight lines were plumb, her footprints Native American straight, her turns inside the ideogram of string, crisp and martial, crying, my son ate this, help, and lapping me twice before the memory recedes. I forgot that my son ate this. It's uh, so, so early. early. Yeah. I thought it was a little further further in. My application's not bought, I am telling them, calling into the darkness of the red cave that opens out before closed eyes. I am not just a boy who plays tennis. I have an intricate history, experiences, and feelings. I'm not just a feelings. boy who plays tennis. I'm complex. I read, I say. I study and read. I bet I've read everything you've read. Don't think I haven't. I consume libraries. I wear out spines and ROM drives. I do things like get in a taxi and say, the library, and step on it. <laughs> my, <laughs> my instincts concerning syntax and mechanics are better than your own, I can tell, with due respect. But it transcends the mechanics. I'm not a machine. I feel and believe. I have opinions. Some of them are interesting. I could, if you'd let me, talk and talk. Let's talk about anything. I believe the influence of Kierkegaard on Camus is underestimated. I believe Dennis <laughs> Gabor may very well have been the Antichrist. I believe Hobbes is just Rousseau in a dark mirror. I believe with Hegel that transcendence is absorption. I could interface you guys right under the table, I say. I'm not just a create creatus, manufactured, conditioned, bred for a function. I open my eyes. Please don't think I don't care. I look out, directed my way, is a horror. I rise from the chair. I see jowls sagging, eyebrows high on trembling foreheads, cheeks bright white. The chair recedes below me. Sweet mother of Christ, the director says. I'm fine, I tell them, standing. From the yellow dean's expression, there's a brutal wind blowing from my direction. <laughs> Academics' face has gone instantly old. Eight eyes have become blank discs that stare at whatever they see. Good God, whispers athletics. <laughs> Please don't worry, I say. I can explain. I soothe the air with a casual hand. Both my arms are pinioned from behind by the director of comp, who wrestles me roughly down on me with all his weight. I taste floor. What's wrong? I say, nothing is wrong. It's all right. I'm here, the director is calling into my ear. Get help, cries a dean. My forehead is pressed into parquet I never knew could be so cold. I am arrested. I try to be perceived as limp and pliable. My face is mashed flat. Comp's weight makes it hard to breathe. Try to listen, I say very slowly, muffled by the floor. What in God's name are those, one dean cries shrilly, those sounds. There are clicks of a phone console's buttons, shoes' heels moving, pivoting, a sheaf of flimsy pages falling. God, help! The door's base opens at the left periphery, a wedge of halogen hall light, white sneakers, and a scuffed nun bush. Let him up, that's Delint. There is nothing wrong, I say slowly to the floor. I'm in here. I'm raised by the crutches of my underarms, shaken toward what he must have seen as calm by a purple-faced director. Get a grip, son, Delint at the big man's arm. Stop it. I am not what you see in here. Distant sirens, a crude half-Nelson, forms at the door. A young Hispanic woman holds her palm against her mouth, looking. I'm not, I say. You have to love old-fashioned men's rooms, the citrus scent of deodorant discs in the long porcelain trough, the stalls with wooden doors in frames of cool mar marble, 
These uh, thin sinks in rows, basins supported by rickety alphabets of exposed plumbing, mirrors over metal shelves. Behind all the voices, the slight sound of a ceaseless trickle inflated by echo against wet porcelain and a cold tile floor whose mosaic pattern looks almost Islamic at this close range. (laughs) The disorder I've caused revolves all around. I've been half dragged, still pinioned, through a loose mob of administrative people by the comp director who appears to have thought variously that I am having a seizure prying open my mouth to check for a throat clear of tongue, that I am somehow choking, a textbook Heimlich that left me whooping, that I am psychotically out of control, various postures and grips designed to transfer that control to him, while about us Royal DeLint, trying to restrain the director's restraint of me, the varsity tennis coach restraining DeLint, my mother's half-brother speaking in rapid combinations of polysyllables to the trio of deans, who variously gasp, ring hands, loosen neckties, waggle digits in CT's face, and make uh, pazes with sheafs of now pretty clearly superfluous application forms. I am rolled over supine on the geometric tile. I am concentrating docilely on the question why U.S. restrooms always appear to us as infirmaries for public distress, the place to regain control. My head is cradled in a knelt director's lap, which is soft, my face being swabbed with dusty brown institutional paper towels he received from some hand out of the crowd overhead, staring with all the blankness I can summon into his jowls' small pox, worst at the blurred jawline of scarring from long-ago acne. Uncle Charles, a truly unparalleled slinger of shit, is laying down an enfilade of same, trying to mollify men who seem way more in need of a good brow mopping than I. (laughs) He's fine, he keeps saying. Look at him, calm as can be, lying there. You didn't see what happened in there, a hunched dean reports through a face webbed with fingers. Excited is all he gets sometimes. An excitable kid, impressed with... But the sounds he made, undescribable, like an animal, sub-animalistic noises and sounds. Now, or let's, for, let's not forget the gestures. Have you ever gotten help for this boy, Dr. Tavis? Like some sort of animal with something in its mouth. This boy is damaged. Uh, this boy needs therapy. Like a stick of butter. <laughs> like a stick of butter being hit with a mallet. A writhing animal with a knife in its eye. What were you possibly about trying to enroll this? And his arms. You didn't see it, Tavis. His arms were flailing this sort of awful reaching drumming wriggle waggling the group looking briefly at someone outside my sight trying to demonstrate something like a time lapse a flutter of some sort of awful growth sounded most of all like a drowning goat a goat (laughs) drowning in something viscous this strangled series of bleats and yes they waggled so suddenly a bit of excited waggling's a crime now (laughs) you sir are in trouble you are in trouble his face, as if he was strangling, burning. I believe I've seen a vision of hell. He has some trouble communicating. He's <laughs> communicatively challenged. Communicatively challenged. No one's denying that. The boy needs care. Instead of caring for the boy, you send him here to enroll? Compete? How? You have not in your most dreadful fantasies dreamt of the amount of trouble you have bought yourself, Dr. So-called Headmaster Educator. We're given to understand this is all just a formality. You took him aback is all. Shy. And you, White, you sought to recruit him. And terribly impressed and excited in there without us, his support system, whom you asked to leave, which if you'd... 
I'd only seen him play. On court, he's gorgeous, possibly a genius. We had no idea. The brother's in the bloody NFL, for God's sake. Here's a top player, we thought, with Southwest roots. His stats were off the chart. We watched him through the whole Whataburger last fall. Not a waggle or a noise. We were watching ballet out there, a mate remarked after. Damn right you were watching ballet out there, White. This boy is a athletic athlete, a player. Some kind of athletic savant, then. Balletic compensation for deep problems which you, sir, choose to disguise by muzzling the boy in there. An expensive pair of Brazilian espadrilles goes by on the left and enters a stall, and the espadrilles come around and face me. The urinal trickles behind the voice's small echoes. Haps will just be on our way, CT is saying. The integrity of my sleep has been forever compromised, sir. Think you could pass off a damaged applicant? Fabricate, fabricate credentials and shunt him through a kangaroo interview and inject him into all the rigors of college life? Hal here functions, you ass, given a supportive situation. He's fine when he's by himself. Yes, he has some trouble with excitability in conversation. Did you once hear him try to deny that? We witnessed something only marginally mammalian in there, sir. <laughs> like Hal, have a look. How's the excitable little guy doing down there, Aubrey, does it look to you? You, sir, are quite possibly ill. This, this affair is not concluded. What ambulance? Don't you guys listen? I'm telling you there's... Hal? Hal? Dope him up, seek to act as his mouthpiece, muzzling, and now he lies there catatonic, staring. The crackle of Delin's knees. Hal? <laughs> Inflate this publicly in any distorted way. The Academy has distinguished alumni, litigators at council. Hal here is provably competent. Credentials out the bazoo, Bill. The boy reads like a vacuum, digests things. <laughs> I simply lie there, listening, smelling the paper towel, watching an espadrille pivot. There's more to life than sitting there interfacing. It might be a news flash to you. And who could not love that special and leonine roar of a public toilet? Not for nothing did Oren say that people outdoors down here just scuttle in vectors from air conditioning to air conditioning. The sun is a hammer. I can feel one side of my face start to cook. The blue sky is glossy and fat with heat, a few thin cirri sheared to blown strands like hair at the rims. The traffic is nothing like Boston. The stretcher is the special type, with restraining straps at the extremities. The same Aubrey Delint I'd, I'd dismissed for years as a 2D martinet knelt gurney side to squeeze my restrained hand and say, just hang in there, buckaroo, before moving back into the administrative fray at the ambulance's doors. It is a special ambulance, dispatched from I'd rather not dwell on where, with not only paramedics, but some kind of psychiatric MD on board. The medics lift gently and are handy with straps. The MD, his back up against the ambulance's side, has both hands up in dispassionate mediation between the deans and CT, who keeps stabbing skyward with his cellular antenna as if it were a saber, outraged that I'm being needlessly ambulanced off to some emergency room against my will and interests. The issue whether the damaged have even interested wills is shallowly hashed out as some sort of ultra mock fighter too high overhead to hear slices the sky from south to north. The MD has both hands up and is patting the air to signify dispassion. He has a big blue jaw. At the only other emergency room I've ever been in, almost exactly one year back, the psychiatric stretcher was wheeled in and then parked beside the waiting room chairs. These chairs were molded orange plastic. Three of them down the row were occupied by different people, all of whom were holding empty prescription bottles and perspiring freely. This would have been bad enough, but in the end chair, 
right up next to the strap-secured head of my stretcher, was a t-shirted woman with barnwood skin and a trucker's cap and a bad starboard list who began to tell me, lying there restrained and immobile, about how she had seemingly overnight suffered a sudden and anomalous gigantism in her right breast, which she referred to as a titty. She had an almost parodic Quebecois accent and described the titties presenting history and possible diagnoses for almost 20 minutes before I was rolled away. The jet's movement and trail seem incisionous, as if incision-ish, as if white meat behind the blue were exposed and widening in the wake of the blade. I once saw the word knife finger-written on the steamed mirror of a non-public bathroom. I have become an infantophile. I am forced to roll my closed eyes either up or to the side to keep the red cave from bursting into flames from the sunlight. The street's passing traffic is constant and seems to go hush, hush, hush. The sun, if your fluttering eye catches it even slightly, gives you the blue and red floaters a flashbulb gives you. A flashbulb gives you. Why not? Why not? Why not not, then, if the best reasoning you can contrive is why not? CT's voice, receding without rage. Only the gallant stabs of his antenna are now visible, just inside my sight's right frame. I will be conveyed to an emergency room of some kind, where I will be detained as long as I do not respond to questions, and then when I do respond to questions, I will be sedated. So it will be inversion of standard travel, the ambulance and ER. I'll make the journey first, then depart. I think very briefly of the late Cosgrove Watt. I think of the hypophalangeal grief therapist. I think of the moms alphabetizing cans of soup in the cabinet over the microwave of himself's umbrella hung by its handle from the edge of the mail table just inside the headmaster's house foyer. The bad ankle hasn't ached once this whole year. I think of John N.R. Wayne, who would have won this year's Whataburger, standing watch in a mask as Don Gately and I dig up my father's head. <laughs> There's very little doubt that Wayne would have won. And Venus Williams owns a ranch outside Green Valley. She may well attend the 18's Boys and Girls Finals. I will be out in plenty of time for tomorrow's semi. I trust Uncle Charles. Tonight's winner is almost sure to be Dymphna, 16, but with a birthday two weeks under the April 15th deadline, and Dymphna will still be tired tomorrow at 0830, while I, sedated, will have slept like a graven image. I have never before faced Dymphna in tournament play, nor played with the sonic balls the blind require, but I watched him barely dispatch Petropolis Khan in the round of 16, and I know he is mine. It will start in the ER at the intake desk if CT's late in following the ambulance, or in the green-tiled room after the room with the invasive digital machines, or given the special MD-supplied ambulance maybe on the ride itself. Some blue-jawed MD scrubbed to an antiseptic glow with his name sewn in cursive on his white coast's breast pocket and a quality desk-set pen, wanting gurney-side Q&A, etiology and diagnosis by Socratic method, ordered and point-by-point. There are, by the OED, uh, OED 6's count, 19 non-archaic synonyms for unresponsive, <laughs> of which 9 are Latinate and 4 are Saxonic. I will play either Stice or Polip in Sunday's final, maybe in front of Venus Williams. It will be someone blue-collar and unlicensed, though, inevitably, a nurse's aide with quick-bit nails, a hospital security guy, a tired Cuban orderly who addresses me as Jew, <laughs> who will, looking down in the middle of some kind of bustled task, catch what he sees as my eye and asks, so yo then, man, what's your story? So you, young man, what's your story? What What's your story? Uh, it's the book ends with uh, someone restrained in the hospital and begins with somebody getting restrained in the hospital. Sure does. It ends with uh, how 
um, you start, you know, starting to lose control of his perception of, you know, mm-hmm. himself to others, and it starts with it very much in action. There's more to life than just interfacing. I'm not just a boy who plays tennis. I mean, here's here's my first reaction reading that again. Yeah. Why are they trying to get him to fucking play tennis at all? That's what that because that's what he's been that's trained to do. He is at. just a boy who plays tennis. I mean, that's that's the question, right? Um, he, uh, you know what I was thinking of uh, reading that was uh, Pinocchio. Yes. And thinking about uh, Hal's story, uh, yeah, Hal's story uh, uh, being a Pinocchio story. Uh, something that I've been thinking of recently because <laughs> on the law, lo- just enjoying the um, the weird the the weird tendency that on a long enough scale, every auteur director attempts to make a Pinocchio movie. Yes. Uh, because all directors are Pinocchio, all, are Geppettos, are Geppettos, and they want to make a real boy. Mm-hmm. And thinking about how as uh. A Pinocchio story, a, a fake or a manufactured boy who who wants to be real, and that is his tragedy. It's time to be real. It's not time to be real. <laughs> it's not just time saying, to be it's real. It's time for Pinocchio to be real. It's time. To, yes. What uh, happens if I were when a you puppet, stop being a puppet and start, start being, being real. real? If I were a puppet, I would simply just enjoy being a puppet. Yes. I would. Not, I would not want to be a real boy. Well, Nothing it, but hassle. It might. <laughs> it might be in I'm your stressed. in your puppet puppet nature to desire to be real. Maybe. Uh. Is is Infinite Jest a Pinocchio story? Yeah, cool. Because Hamlet is also a Pinocchio story. It's about your dad. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all about fighting your dad, right? The yes. image of himself that we get of his umbrella hanging at um, the edge of the uh, headmaster's yeah, uh, or the the foyer. Yeah. Um, Oren only mentioned kind of in passing as a football player, and also in the past, no mention of Mario. The, yeah, observing the uh, the mold scene. His mom alphabetizing soup cans. Alphabetizing soup cans. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's funny that I guess you know the lack of communication even gets down. Like he can't even write. Like he's truly, it's like he's like a stroke victim. Yeah, in a way that like there, there's almost no. It's funny that. CT and um, Delint, they they don't even know that he's okay in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? All, all we know is that he's been coached. He's been coached like a Don before yeah, a Rico trial. trial. Um, it it just makes you wonder what what it actually is. You know wh- mm-hmm. what the fuck is going? It's like tennis is the only thing that makes sense to him anymore because he could refuse to play, right? Yes, because he's well, he is also at this point merely a a, a vessel for his own. A vessel for his own life, or the, something like the that. The other important thing to note is that he seems to have gotten better at tennis in the year since he stopped being able to communicate. Yes, um, the ankle's better too. The ankle's better. Like all the obstacles, in some way, you could argue that he has achieved mm-hmm. the exact kind of flow state that Stitt, you know, champions that he, yes. his life beca- becomes tennis and he lives within yes. the lines of the court but it uh, but it also means that all his other pursuits the pursuits of the mind his essay writings his it's interest all in, in his head and pornography has uh have diminished yeah like he has all these essays which then you see hints of everything this whole first chapter contains everything in the book mm-hmm. uh even dare i say the recounting his mom um you know my son helped my son ate this the idea of the kid reaching up and showing the mold 
and she doesn't have her contacts in. So she sees this like blurry, it's like this blurry vision. Yeah. And then you have your mom reaching down to you, not quite sure. Yes. Which, sorry, isn't that infinite isn't jest? That the, isn't that the entertainment? Yeah. Um, uh, a Quebecois, a, 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 uh, somewhat horrifically depicted Quebecois, uh, female figure. Yeah. Uh, in there. Yeah. A, t- a titty. Titty. Um, and then we've got, you know, a mention of, um, John Wayne, John, no relation Wayne, who is not, per- uh, playing in the Whataburger. Mm-hmm. And I want to know why he was watching. He was standing guard as Gately and Hal dug up the, his father's head. Yes. So he was involved in a plot. Oh, we also know the year of GLAD is the last year of subsidized yes. time. Should we get into the swarts of it all? I think we should save that for next, another episode. Let's save it for... Did we do, when we first read this, did we do that as two episodes, two chunks? Did we? I feel like we, we started with shorter shorter bits. We might I might have just done to 10 pages. I think it was more. Yeah. Sorry, I hit the voice control on That's okay. the remote and it's being weird. Um. Yeah, that's fine. My Bixby? My Bixby. What <laughs> e- what even is my Bixby? I don't know. I refuse to explore my Bixby. I don't want to. Um please don't make me. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that the uh the opening the opening sequence reads as much as an epilogue to the uh Yeah, the end. you could almost uh, stick it at the back. Yes. And it would make more set. Let me see what. Where do they go next? Isn't it? Um, is it what, more fucking Morath? No, I thought it was. Uh, let me see if I can remember this. Is, is it? Uh, Ken Erdaddy is the second sec- section. Oh, my boy genius. Or where was the woman who said she'd come? She said she would come. <laughs> she was gonna sell me the pot. Where is my pot? Oh God, R.I.P. Ken Erdaddy. You would have loved legalized weed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or hated it. Or hated it. Because part of his, his ritual is uh, deni- the, the denial and illicitness of it. You know, I have to say um, that, you know, obviously we started this two and a half years ago. And I keep seeing every now and then sentiment that's like, I don't I don't believe that um, pot is addictive. And I'm like, it is. Yes. <laughs> it is. It can be. You see how strong pot is? Kind of crazy. Anything can be addictive if you try hard enough. Anything can be addictive if you try hard enough. Even tennis. Yes. Um, Remember when we played tennis? Oh, God. That was so long ago. I know. We were so bad. I was so bad. It was so hot. Yes. I would so, do it again. So uncoordinated. I can't believe that how how many things that this podcast has tracked, including the rise of pickleball. Yes. The, 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 um, the tennis substitute. The tennis substitute. Yeah. The, the people are saying is like the people's tennis, but also seems kind of astroturfed by like venture capital. Yeah. We have been doing this podcast longer than the Biden administration. Oh my God. Um, it's like the high lie episode of uh, Mad Men. Can you imagine like a pickleball thing? And oh, Don's yeah. just like, what is this? Yes. <laughs> How is this any different from tennis? Uh, get Don Draper on it. Get Don Draper on it. Um, any, anything else? I, I we, we are kind of now in the uh, the aimless middle morass of this uh, podcast where we're just trying to to keep it afloat, figure out what's <laughs> trying next. Trying to keep it afloat. Yeah. No, we'll uh, we're uh, we'll do the Swartz theory next week, and then let's let's pick another book. Yeah. Okay. Although we will, I will say, yeah, we'll 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 be back. Yeah, we'll read the Swartz essay, and that'll uh, give us a good t- uh, jumping off point to kind of give final thoughts on the on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. 
then um, three, four, shut the door forever. Yeah. Just kidding. Never think about um, Infinite Jest again. I'm just happy. I can't believe it. We finished it. We yes. did it. We did the damn thing. Yeah. It, what, a, what an absurd project. Who would have thought we would actually follow through? I Talk about the antidote of Podfade. Yes. Yes. We we um No no one would have expected that we completed we the mission yes, that we would have kept up with this whole thing. Who would have thought? Who, who would have thought? What's the like Paul Rudd thing yeah. that's like? Look at us. Look, Look at, at us. us here. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. <laughs> uh but we did it. What a what an amazing testament. And, and it will exist forever on the internet. As long as we don't uh get it, you know, a takedown takedown notice. I don't think it can get a takedown notice. Sure. Okay. <laughs> anything else molly um we pot we podcasted on another podcast we're back back in the yes. saddle over on and introducing <sighs> so we'll have to do bono part two sometime this this week yeah let's do some weeknight this week yeah that sounds good okay, i don't great. have any plans great um but go visit us over at and, and introducing, introducing where we talk about, about bono bono and his book surrender 40, 40 songs 40 songs, stories is that 40, that's lin-manuel miranda in the um yeah. Yeah. At the uh, at, at the U.S. Open. Uh, um, Man, I bet you can't tell that guy nothing. <laughs> He's probably like, "Yeah, I I'm Lin Manuel Miranda, and you're not." You know. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think his, I think his time has. His, his, uh, he, oh, hard disagree. Didn't he write? We don't talk about Bruno. That was like a number one song. Sure, on the Billboard charts. Yeah, but still, this man is a menace. Well, let's see him. Cut. Let's see. We him were at- stuck with this man for life. He's our. He's probably honestly our new Andrew Lloyd Webber. Well, let's see him. Let's see him do a second musical. Uh, he can do Infinite Jest the musical. That's the thing about. Uh, I bet and, he's Andrew read Lloyd it, right? Uh, Webber. Yeah. That that man ha- was like churning out a new musical like every other year for yeah. years. Yeah, and he was, you know. He had taste. He liked cla- the thing is the the ethos of Andrew Lloyd Webber versus Lin Manuel Miranda is that Andrew Lloyd Webber liked fancy things. He liked yes. nice things like a chandelier yeah. descending from the back a chandelier, row. a lady, an opera singer, and Lin Manuel Miranda's like I l- I just want everyone to 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 do some hip hip hop and uh, rapping. Yes. What if what if Alexander Hamilton knew how to break dance? <laughs> I don't. Well, I assume there's no break dancing in Hamilton. What would be the What would be the funniest follow up? Um. Oh, what should he? What should he do? Yes. God, uh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Well, they already have that Harry Potter. No, they need a hip hop rap in Harry uh, Potter. Uh, yes. What if Harry Potter rapped? Uh, my name is Harry Potter. And I'm here to say I'm here to rock the world in a magical way. Yes. Um. <laughs> How could a boy who has two parents who are wizards who got killed by a different wizard and he got a scar <laughs> on his head? Look at his head. It's looking crazy. Everyone's like, oh my God, it's his head. That's Harry Potter. Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. It's just like Lin Manuel Miranda. Yes. Um, <laughs> tip, tip to toe. Tip to toe. That's, that's an LMM. Because <laughs> my the the initial thing that I'm going, I think he is like what other historical character, but he would have to zag in in some Thomas way. Edison, uh, Charles de Gaulle. Uh, you know what, what he if should Charles do? Charles de Gaulle was a hair metal band. He should do a Great Gatsby musical. Yes. Uh, one of them, I took uh, an American literature class in college as I was an English major, 
and we read The Great Gatsby. Great book. And one of the theories was, what if Gatsby is black? Not, is black? I yes. mean, realistically, it's more like, what if he's Jewish? Yes. Um, but we had uh, quite a discussion in our class of uh, what, what if Great Gatsby is black? And I bet Lin-Manuel Miranda could explore that question, yes. too. Yes, he could. Wonder... wonder what if what if Greg Gatsby was six foot tall and smoked weed? <laughs> Do you know that one? That's an no. episode one thing. Wonder wonder if Yoda was six foot tall and smoked weed. No, I don't. Is, did they do a whole episode on that concept? No, they did a they did a, a rap. It's a rap song. Just just look, I'll up, look it up. Look up I'll what if Yoda guys. was six foot tall and smoked weed. Got it. I'll put it on after this. Spring break summer, baby. Spring break summer. All right. It's going to be a spring break summer. It's going to be a spring break summer. Uh, we'll be back next week with the Aaron Schwartz essay and um, more final thoughts on this wonderful book. Uh, this great, big, lovely <laughs> This book. great big book. All right. Bye. One of the biggest. Bye. <laughs>